Well, I got nothing, folks. I got nothing. I'm kidding. Uh, how's everyone this morning? Okay, so we roll into town. I did turn it on. Is it on? Yes, praise God. So we rolled into town at 8, and not a, not a mouse was out. So I was like, but there's a Casey's. Thank you, God. So I haven't been to a Casey's in a minute, and my buddy Mike back there has never even heard of a Casey's, I don't think. So I said, you see that cherry turnover sitting in that glass case over there? Go have one, and you'll have an encounter with God like you've never had before. <laughs> Amen? How many know? Huh? And then I said, try this breakfast pizza out. And he was speaking in tongues, y'all. He was, he was in. I mean, Casey's is anointed. I don't care what you say. And no, that's not blasphemy. That is truth, folks. So can you guys do me a favor and open to Philippians 4? Philippians 4, uh, we're going to read 6 through 8. And this is probably the scripture that I've been hanging on for quite some time. But I, I love ministering out of the scripture. And we'll get into the slides here and stuff in a minute. And if you guys find anything interesting about these slides, let me know. You guys can have them. There's no copyrights on what we have. I'm just quoting a bunch of dead guys today. So no big deal. So we're going to be going through scripture and all these things. So is, if everybody's ready, just say amen. 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 So it says this in verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And here's verse 8. This is the linchpin for me. Finally, brothers, whatsoever things are true. Are you hearing that? Whatsoever things are true. And I fear a lot of people today don't know what is true out there anymore because of the media, because of what schools are teaching, right? We're seeing our kids. I shouldn't say our kids, hopefully, in here, but there's kids out there who we should say is ours. It's our responsibility, right, to go preach and minister. It says, whatsoever, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, if there's any excellence in anything worthy of praise, dwell and think on those things. Amen? We're supposed to think about those things. And I fear a lot of the times in America, we've kind of been glued to the TV set. Uh, Mark Twain once said, if you don't read the newspapers, you're uninformed. But if you do read them, you're misinformed. <laughs> right? I don't know a thing that's going on. You read the newspaper, you're like, wait, I don't know if I believe any of that stuff. Right? Because, you know, they're all telling the truth, aren't they? No, they're not. So... <laughs> And why I'm thinking about this, because a lot of people today are anxious, they're nervous, they have a lot of fear. What's going on? And you're hearing about banks collapsing, you're hearing about wars and rumors of wars, right? And, oh my gosh, is this it? Is Jesus coming back? Look, that is not for you to even think about right now. You know what your job is to think about? There's a lot of souls out there that need Jesus Christ, right? Our job right now is to have the peace of God within us, to think about things that are good. And I fear a lot of the times that a lot of Christians will dwell on what is wrong and preach out of that instead of dwelling on what is good and pure and preach out of that. Because I think that's what the world needs right now. What is pure about Christ so that they can transform into him? Amen? Bible's clear in Romans. It says that all things work together for good to those that love God, right? And are called according to his purpose. But the verse after that is what we neglect. It says, because we've been predestined to be made into the image of Christ. So what we go through, all of our trials, our experiences, is making us more like him if we're willing to learn the lesson. Amen? So what we're going to talk about today is there's a lot of things in history that are misconstrued, okay? Now, the founders were not perfect dudes, okay? They're not. They, they, were, they were humans just like you and I. And I'm coming from a pastoral background. I'm actually the associate pastor at Revive Church in Stewart, Florida. So I do preach normally. This is just a ministry I've had for a long time, about eight, nine years now. And so I, when I'm preaching at church, I'm always seeing people come in nervous about what's going on in America. What's going on with our schools? What's going on with our kids? And Mike and I kind of finally had the end of that. We're like, we're done with this stuff. Either we get involved or we shut up. That was what, that's what we said from the pulpit. Either we get involved or we shut our mouths. And so we did. And you know what happened? We had this com conference last year, and four of our people in our church ran for school board and won their seats. You know what they're doing? They just got initiated a month and a half ago. You know what they're doing on Monday? Throwing out 60 books full of demonic, pornographic junk from their public school libraries. Amen? We have a guy that ran, he got elected to town council this year, got initiated, or initiated, this isn't a gang, he got, uh, you know, sworn in, sworn in. 
He got sworn in two months ago. Did you guys know our town council had not prayed since 1960 to open up their town service or their town council meetings? They just started praying. They had to change the entire town charter because one man said, no, we're going to start praying to the God of heaven now. Amen? Now we got a guy running for mayor. He has no, he goes, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, perfect. That's it. That's, you don't, just read that paper, do what it says. The, con, the, you know, the, the town charter, that's all you got to do, right? Now we have two other people running for county council. You want to know how to take back and quit worrying about what's going on? Get involved. Get involved. I find it crazy, I find it crazy that we will get involved with, we think God should be in our businesses, amen? God should be in our families, amen? God should be in everything out there, but when it comes to government, no, that's that secular stuff. Did you guys know that there's no specific chapter that says God needs to be involved in our businesses? But there are seven full-on chapters of God creating law and government. Isn't that nuts? I mean, I start thinking about this stuff, and I'm like, why, why, do we, why have we been so deceived, right? Why did in 2020 government came in and said, you need to shut down your churches? Who gave them that authority? Like, who, who just said, okay, yeah, sure, let's, I guess, if that's what they got to do, because this virus, you know, is more powerful than our God, I guess. Right? There's a conviction to this. Lord, either I believe you fully or I don't. Either I believe your word when you said you're the healer or I don't. But I have to believe. I've got to believe and I'll tell you why. Now, how many of you guys have social media? How many of you guys are into the demonic? Amen? Amen? I'm with you. Right? So we have... Sorry. We have, a, we have, we're on Instaface and stuff. All that crap. We're on all, all the stuff. We're on all. I don't run any of it. Right? I don't even like it that much. But it's cool. Like, so our stuff's on there. We also have a podcast called Self-Evident Podcast. Mikey back there is the co-host, but actually he runs the whole show. Uh, he's the brains. I'm the beauty. It is what it is. We all have our role to play. Amen? All of us can't be the face. You know? But it's great. My wife wanted to be here. Um, she just was lazy. I'm kidding. No, she had surgery. She had surgery. Uh, she, had, uh, she had a colostomy back. She was diagnosed with cancer last year, uh, colon cancer, stage three. It was in her lymph nodes. Real fast story. They took out the tumor, and they said, look, it's in your lymph node system. You hear the doctor just pronouncing death over my wife? I'm like, no, we're not believing that. So we started to pray. So a month into her treatments, she said, I felt the Lord tell me I'm not supposed to do this anymore. I'm like, go tell that dude. So she did. And he, they said, okay, we'll test your blood against the tumor. No cancer. She was healed. Amen. So she just had surgery to do the reversal. It's, the recovery was just a little bit longer than she wanted. She didn't feel comfortable flying. So I was like, okay, stay home. You know, do your thing. So Mikey decided to come. And my son, he's one of my fat heads. I got three of them. They're amazing boys. And you know what I love about this? They're the next generation. They're the ones that are going to take over this thing when I'm said, gone, and done, you know, done and dead. And thank God, because they, they're smarter than me anyway. So let's get into this. We have a table back there. Uh, you can see it later, right? But the message is called God Shed His Grace on Us, okay? I was told I have about three hours, so just hang tight, okay? <laughs> I think I'm joking. Okay. No, I'm kidding. Now, we'll, we'll go through this fast. You see this slide? It's really hard to read. I am so sorry. The, the, the lights are a little bright, and that's okay. We're, we're, we're going to get through it. But this is John Adams. You know what I love about John Adams? You know what they said about John Adams? John Adams was the Colossus of Independence. John Adams was a Christian. He really was. John Adams and Samuel Adams, they were first cousins. And Samuel Adams, how do we know Samuel Adams today, guys? Oh, say it. Okay, heathens. All right, we know. So, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But Samuel Adams was one of the greatest preachers ever in existence. He would go into churches and light up the fires of liberty and freedom and the word of God. Not a lot of people know that. We'll quote him here in a minute. So this is John Adams. You know what they said about him? He's short, chubby, and loud. God loves me. He does. And so here's what he said, though. Watch this. He wrote this letter to his wife. Uh, it was right after they signed the Declaration of Independence. And I just want you to hear his words that he wrote to his wife. It's going to totally contrast what you're hearing out there, okay? And this is what he said. This is the second day of July 1776 will be the most memorable time in the history of America. He said, I'm apt to believe that it will be celebrated by future generations as the great anniversary festival. How many of us celebrate the 4th of July independence, right? We open up our backyards, do the grill thing, right? We'll hang out with some family, all those things, right? But listen to what he said next. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. 
How many of us take the time to say, Lord, thank you for this country. Thank you for how you delivered us. You know why he said that? Because I'm going to show you three instances on how God delivered. There's 13 different miracles that happened in America that are in the Library of Congress today that we never talk about. That the hand of God specifically was on this nation. Now, let me say this again. The founders weren't perfect, man. Do you think they were perfect? No. Do you think that when those pilgrims came across in those boats, they didn't have a few bad apples? Right? How many of us know that we've been in church for a long time? How many of us have seen hypocrites before? Amen? How many of you guys have been to a gym? You know where I'm going. Right? How many of us have seen fat people in a gym? How many of us know they've been in that gym for a year and ain't nothing changed? Does that stop you from going to the gym? No! It causes you to try to help them become the person that they want to be. So instead of complaining about the hypocrite, maybe we should be interceding for that hypocrite. Maybe we should be preaching into that hypocrite. Maybe we should be their friend and disciple that person. Instead of complaining all the time. Does this make sense? Because it's easy to uh, come against somebody, but you know what's harder? It's to go through the trenches with them. And that's what God does with us, doesn't he? Through our messes, right? So he says this right after that. He said, it ought to be solemnized. You know, we, we, should, we should be praising God, thanking God. And then he says this. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade and shows and games and sports and guns and bells and bonfires and fireworks from this end of the continent from, to the other from this time forward. We should be doing all those things, right? But then he says this. He tells his wife this. You think I'm excited about this? He said, but I ain't. I'll tell you why. Because I know the toil, the bloodshed, and the money that it's going to cost us to preserve this nation. And you know what he said after that? But the end is worth more than all the means. And I, that's where I think we're at right now in America. I don't know if people are willing to give it all up for the cause of liberty. I don't know if we're willing to give it all up for the cause of Jesus. Allow me to explain. They were willing to give everything up and say it's worth the price. And sometimes we fall into this despair and we say, oh my gosh, it's too far gone. Maybe it's over. Maybe it's this or that. I'm here to tell you that is not the case. God didn't give me a spirit of fear. He gave me a, a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a sound mind. So when the world says it's over, I have more hope that they're saying it's over. Because the word of God is alive in me, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides the soul, and it divides the spirit. The soul is the flesh, and here's the spirit. When the world says this, my God says this. Amen? That's how we need to think all the time. When Caleb and Joshua were called to go spy out the land with the other spies, the other spies came in and said, man, there's good fruit everywhere. This is amazing, right? But there's giants over there. I don't know if we can take this land. And here's Joshua and Caleb saying, what are you talking about? They're bred for us. God's with us let's go get them and the other spies are like no 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 we can't do it but guess who was on the side of God Joshua and Caleb two people and I'm going to encourage you with something if you think you need a majority to win your battle show me that in scripture God never used a majority to win his battles it was always one or two it was one David it was one Joshua it was one Moses it was one Paul one Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and established churches all over the place. One man. This is why I get excited because one guy can change this. One person can do something. It just takes one person to believe. It was Hudson Taylor that once said, there's three stages in every great work of God. He said, first, it's impossible. Then it is difficult, and then it is done. That's faith. Listen, if it was possible and easy, you wouldn't need God. It's the fact that it's impossible that God's going to show off the most. Amen? That's where we need to be. So let's continue. This is, uh, I think this next one, Samuel Adams, his cousin, listen to this. I'm sure you've never heard this quote before, and I've got tons of these things from Samuel Adams. He said, we have this day, the 4th of July, restored the sovereign to whom and all, all men ought to be obedient. He reigns in the heaven, and from the rising to the setting of the sun, let his kingdom come. He's saying, on America, it's time for the kingdom of God to come now. That was their intention. That was their intention. Now, I do a whole slideshow on slavery in America. I do a whole slideshow on what happened. And all that stuff shook out, right? I mean, there was a lot of stuff happening back in those days. Did you guys know that, uh, at least in America, in, in these lands, we had about 350,000 slaves imported to our country before the slave trade stopped, Okay. But now we're being told that America is the worst nation ever because it was founded on the backs of slavery and we were rich white dudes, right, who are all because they're rich aristocrats and it was all for money, right? That's how America got rich. That's why you white people are the way you are in Missouri with your Casey's. 
I mean, it just isn't it ridiculous? My pastor, Todd Mazingo is his name. His last name is Mazingo. They looked it up. He's an ancestor of a slave here. I think it was in New York. He's a white dude. My pastor's a white black guy. It's crazy. <laughs> my man, my man loves ham hops and hamburgers. You know what I mean? It's crazy. But like, I, he goes, so do I get reparations? We're going off. My point is, yes, slavery existed. But did you guys know that Brazil imported four and a half million slaves? Do you guys know that Rome had slaves? India? Do you know how many? Do you know who's the country that imported and exported the most slaves? Africa. It's not that it was good. I'm not justifying America. We were dumb. We should never have compromised. We, never, we should have never said it should take 20 years to stop this, right? Compromise never works, folks. Don't play with your sin. That's all I'm saying. I, 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 listen, can I get open, open? I dealt with a two-year pornography addiction, and I thought nobody would notice. I was still preaching. I was still ministering. I was still doing. God loves me, but I was a fool. I didn't realize what was happening until one day the Holy Spirit said, go tell your wife. It scared me because I'd never heard that before. So I said, honey, this is what I'm dealing with. And I thought, great, here comes the fights, here comes the struggle. She might want to get a divorce because we've had families that separate. You know what she did? She grabbed my hand that night. She said, we're going to beat this thing through the word of God in prayer. And every night she grabbed my hand and we went through scripture, we went through prayer, and she got me through it by the grace of God, her and, her and the Lord. And I haven't dealt with it since. But that sin almost took me. You understand? Don't play with sin, please. Please. It's not worth it. And the cross of Christ wants to redeem you from it. He doesn't want you to end up in bondage and sin. He hates that stuff. He loves you and he wants you pure and righteous. And so I'm here to tell you that he can deliver me, he can deliver you too. He also healed me from all my diseases. I had seizures for years. He healed me from that stuff. I don't have them anymore. He hasn't healed me from my diet yet. <laughs> That's a long prayer. He's like, fast, boy. I'm like, no, I slow. <laughs> you know? Anyways, let's continue. Constitutional Convention, 1787. How did it begin? Real fast. In September 7, 1774, did you guys know when they got together for their first meeting, they wanted to find a pastor? They found a pastor called Reverend Jacob Duche. Reverend Jacob Duche was the pastor of Christ Church in Philadelphia. Most people don't know that when they started to pray, have you guys ever seen this picture in history before? It's a really cool picture. They prayed for two hours straight for this nation. How many of us have taken two hours to pray for anything? Don't raise your hands, no condemnation. This started to convict me about my prayer life. Like, hey man, if these guys are interceding to the Lord for a country for two hours, right? What should I be interceding for? My immediate needs, my family, and things like that. So then they read Psalm 35. Psalm 35 really is David's heart saying, Lord, discomfit the wicked. All these. Have you guys ever read David's prayers? Lord, break the teeth of the wicked. Let them fall in the pits that they themselves have dug. Break their bones. And Jesus said, love your enemies. I'm like, man, I, I can't. You know what I mean? But David was crazy praying, you know? But then John Adams, after they read it and prayed, he wrote to his wife and he said, I never saw a greater effect upon an audience. It seemed as if heaven ordained for that psalm to be read that morning. And then he wrote, oh, I'm sorry, this was part of the prayer. If you can look at that blue part, just listen to the words of this prayer. He said this, look down in mercy, we beg of you on these American states who have fled to you from the rod of the oppressor and thrown themselves on thy gracious protection, desiring henceforth to be only dependent on you, Lord, please. Because you know the founders were atheists and deists and stuff. But you never hear about this, right? You never hear about this stuff. And then it says this, Take them therefore, Heavenly Father, under your nurturing care. Give them wisdom and counsel and valor in the field. Defeat the malicious design of our cruel adversaries. Convince them of the unrighteousness of their cause. How many of us, when we have an enemy come against us, we say, Lord, deal with them. Instead of saying, Lord, convince them that they're doing wrong. And turn their hearts, Lord. That's what he was praying. Not deal with them. He was saying, turn their hearts. How cool of a prayer is that? Lord, deal with my enemies. And if they persist in their sanguinary purpose, so let the voice of thy own unerring justice sounding in their hearts constrain them to drop the weapons of war from their unnerved hands in the day of battle. If they ain't going to listen, then please let them let go of their arms. Let them go, let go of their things. And did you guys know that from 1774 to 1816, we had over 1,500 government-issued days of prayer and fasting for America? Wow. I didn't know none of that stuff. I grew up in public school. You guys know what public school is? It's not homeschool. That's for darn sure. I didn't learn a lot. I had a 3.7 GPA until I started to homeschool my boys. I'm like, that was more like a 1.3. Okay? 
I thought I was smart, but then all of a sudden I'm going through history. I'm like, I was never told any of this stuff. How many of you guys ever knew that? 1,500 government issue days of prayer and fasting? Did you guys know states included? That was states included. Did you guys know guys like Thomas Jefferson, who's considered a deist, had statewide days of prayer and fasting for America? John Adams, Samuel Adams, the governors of Massachusetts. Like, all these things were never taught to me as a kid. I didn't know anything. Now, let me ask you a question. Had you at least known some of this stuff, wouldn't it have made you a little bit inquisitive as to what this all means? Why we have a great nation like America? Let's continue. Scriptures used to fight during the independence were these. Romans 13, right? Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil deeds. But what happens now when rulers that we elect or leaders that we elect start to promote the evil and hate the good? What do we do? This is where Paul's scripture comes in and acts. When he said we ought to obey God rather than man. Folks, listen to me. That is not rebellion. They are in rebellion. You're in obedience. Don't let them convince you that you're the one rebelling against government. They're rebelling against our God. And we're just being obedient, saying, no, stop. We elected you to serve us, not the other way around. Amen? That's the way resistance works. It's not a, it's not a oh my gosh, I stubbed my toe, give me money. That's not how this works. It's literally, where are our rights? Now, did you guys know that in 1607 in Jamestown, uh, they, they started to colonize, and this was part of the charter that they came to do. And there's a point to this. It says this, We greatly commending and graciously accepting of their desires for the furtherance of so noble a work, which made by the providence of Almighty God hereafter tend to the glory of His divine majesty and propagating of the Christian religion. In other words, what they came to do was preach the gospel. That's why they came to these lands, was to escape religious persecution, Come and preach the gospel and have a, have a nice life. Give me my own property, man. Right? Did you guys know? I know I'm throwing a lot at you. How many of you guys are learning something so far? Amen. Cool. I'm throwing a ton at you. So again, if I talk too fast, too bad. Slow it down. Watch it on YouTube. I don't know. I can't help you, right? I'm going to try. I'm going to try. So here it is. First Great Awakening. These two brothers up here, the Wesley brothers, uh, they preached from 1734 to 1737. It was a four-year revival that they were preaching in. Listen to this. They were preaching sermons like this. People were all, all by nature dead in sin. They're justified by faith alone. And they focused on, out, like they focused their sermons on, it's not about outward holiness. It's not about works. It's about an inward holiness that produces an outward holiness. Amen? But back in that day, each state, each colony had their own religion. Let me, let me explain. In Massachusetts, they were Presbyterians. In Maryland, they were Catholics. In South Carolina, they were Baptists. So each one was forced to be in that state and be that thing. How many of you guys would love that? Can't you just feel the love? No. So they were like, listen, you're getting told that this God is unfelt, he's unknown, which is where George Whitfield comes in. This guy right here down in the bottom left corner, Whitfield began preaching in the colonies from 1738 to 1743, and he traveled much of New England. Did you guys know that that dude by himself, was? he traveled 100,000 miles on horseback to preach the gospel? Can you imagine the size of his butt? <laughs> I think about these things. Why? I don't know. But it's it just a thought, right? Like, did, did it hurt? You know, cortisone 10? I don't know. I don't know, right? But I'm thinking, man, 100,000 miles on horseback. Can I ask you a question, though? How many of us are willing to go across the street to our neighbor and preach the gospel? How many of us know when we're at the gas station, you feel the prompting of the Lord say, go talk to that lady or go talk to that guy? Or when we go to the doctor's office or the dentist's office or something, there's someone sitting there, it's like, you know, I've got this love of Jesus in me, but maybe they don't. I don't know. And you'll never know until you open your mouth. You know how easy it is? Hey, man, I love Jesus. Do you know about him? I know. You sound like a Jehovah Witness, but it doesn't have to turn out like that. Right? It doesn't have to turn out like that. Dude, a lot of the conversations I have on a plane and those kind of things, I'm just like, hey, man, you ever think about what's going to happen when you die? <laughs> what a thought, huh? Isn't that crazy? And they're like, oh, no, not really. I don't know. I guess just die. It's like, that's it, huh? So you're brought on this earth to just die and let worms eat you. Wow. Huh? There's no purpose. Where did your soul come from? Where do your senses come from? I mean, you just open up conversation, you start preaching the gospel. No, okay, I've done this for a long time, right? I mean, I, I go out. I used to go street preaching downtown Minneapolis. We used to go to a place. <laughs> Hear me out, okay? I loved to minister to the afflicted. So there was a bar downtown called the Gay 90s. I loved it. 
Because, man, they're ready to hear the gospel, you guys. I don't care if you think that they're militant. They're so broken they need Jesus if you just talk to them. So we were down there for years ministering and ministering the gospel and things like that. So I was used to doing it, right? But it's not really hard. Pastor, you love your wife. Is it hard? Do you have a Facebook? Do you use it? Cool. So is it hard for you to say, man, I just want to wish my wife a, a happy anniversary. She's the most awesome person God ever gave me, right? I'm not trying to fill words in your mouth. I hope I'm doing it justice. <laughs> she cooks, she cleans, she bakes, she sews, she's raised her children. She's done all these things. She's an amazing woman of God, blah, blah, blah. I just wish, you know, she would just turn off her phone. I'm saying, no, uh, I'm kidding. So you, it's not hard for you to do that because you love her. How hard is it to talk about the one who redeemed your life from the pit of hell? How hard is that? Man, this God that loved me, he said, you know what, dude? You're the one I chose. Or do that. Fellers and fellettes, listen, this is real, right? He chose you from the foundation of the world. He saw fit to save you. He said, that's mine. He's mine. She's mine. He's mine. He saw fit to say, you know what, that little chubby Mexican kid from Sleepy Eye, Minnesota, I'm going to choose him. Sleepy, I grew up there. Sleepy, you guys know what I'm talking about? Little House on the Prairie, I grew up there. That's yeah, crazy. Still one stoplight. It's insane. It looks just like this. I, you guys have more stoplights, right? Anyway, sorry. So what I'm saying is it's not hard to go out and preach on something that you love. And I think that's where we need to ask, Lord, Lord, I love you this much. Show me how to talk to people. Because that's all that's going to matter, right? These ministries, this stuff we do here, Mike and I, is fantastic. I love it, right? You know what's going to matter? The souls we discipled. The souls that were saved. The name and the recognition and these cool shirts. My wife picked it. <laughs> but like, all this stuff isn't going to matter. It's going to matter about souls. And how many people do we actually disciple for the cause of Christ? How many people are actually behind you saying, you know what? That man helped me in my faith. Can I just tell you one story real fast? I mentor this kid. He's 17 years old. His name's Austin Connolly. Um, he's a f star football player. He plays for like a Division Five type high school. Uh, and he's the quarterback. Stud. Just a stud. And, and, and I'm Uncle Massey, so we, we go out to breakfast every, every week. Well, he's in practice on a Monday. He gets crack blocked, paralyzed from the neck down. Oh, my gosh. It was like, <laughs> so his mom calls me. She's crying. You don't have to come to the hospital, but I just want you to know she's crying. I'm like, of course I'm coming. So I went to the hospital. First thing, I've never seen faith like this. I have never seen it. First thing he said was, I'll be out of here in a week walking. That's what he told us. And of course, in our natural minds, as we, you know, I'm like, okay, <laughs> he's the king of wishful thinking. You know, I was like, you know, in my heart, I'm like, I believe that. But I, Lord, can you, can you answer that prayer? I am not kidding you. Sunday afternoon, he walked on his own two feet out of that hospital. Like, what? You know? Like, he just believed. So then, now he's training again to play football. He's going to play quarterback again. And his mom goes, son, I don't, you know, do you want to, you know, I just kind of feel like you're tempting the Lord, you know? And uh, he goes, mom, either God healed me fully or he didn't heal me at all. Like, oh my gosh, look how simple it is for him. You know how far his story went? It went global. His story went global. Just because he loves Jesus, he said, you know what, I'm going to get this out there. He had a videotape, didn't he? And it went all over the place. ESPN shared it. His testimony. The devil shared his testimony. <laughs> Amen? You tell me devil ain't playing, overplaying his hand right now. You tell me when he persecutes you, what happens to the name of God? It, it, it explodes. This is why it's so important to keep preaching. I'm sorry, I'm on a tangent, but let's continue. Right, I already did that. John Dickinson. John Dickinson was not a signer of the Declaration of Independence, but he was a Christian. He fought in the Revolutionary War. And listen to what he said about your rights. Oh, I'm sorry, I did the wrong one. It says, kings or parliaments could not give rights essential to happiness. He said, we claim them from a higher source, from the King of Kings and the Lord of all the earth. Who is he talking about? Mm, yeah, he said it weren't given to us by parchments or seals. Papers couldn't give us rights. The Constitution doesn't give me rights. God does. It was just written in the Constitution to be protected. 
See what I'm saying? That's the job of government. Watch. It says this, they're created in us by the decrees of providence which establish the laws of our nature. They are born with us, they exist with us, and cannot be taken from us by any human power without first taking our lives. The only way they can take your rights is if you let them. This isn't a call to rebellion. This is a call to steward what you've been given. Amen? Amen? We've been given a lot in this country, guys. Here's Benjamin Franklin, OBF. He's my BFF. This guy was considered, I mean, he was a bad dude at the beginning of his life, and towards the end of his life, he really did repent, uh, if you read any of his works. Listen to what he said. He said, freedom is not a gift bestowed upon us by other men, but a right that belongs to us by the laws of God and of nature. Here's John Adams. You have rights given to you before all earthly governments, rights that cannot be repealed or restrained by human laws, rights derived from the great legislator of the universe. Did you guys know that 43 out of 50 state constitutions acknowledge almighty God as the giver of liberty, that your state does that in your preamble? Did you guys know that? Read your preamble to the Constitution. It acknowledges God as the giver of rights. Your state is professing God. And how many of us actually knew that? This is why it's so important to stand for the name of God. Look at Daniel Webster. Doesn't he look happy? <laughs> He's probably a Baptist. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I got the joy, joy. But this dude was a solid Christian. He was an orator. He was a lawyer. Um, his cousin was Noah Webster. You know, we get the Webster's Dictionary. Um, so this guy here uh, used to prophesy like none other. Listen to what he said in 1802. This was a prophecy. Listen to what he said. Hold on, my friends, to the Constitution and to the Republic for which it stands. Notice he said Republic, not democracy. They knew what they built, folks. We're not a democracy. We're not led by mobs. We're led by law, okay? Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. So it says this, to the republic for which it stands, miracles do not cluster. They don't happen every day. He said what happened once in 6,000 years, that's a biblical point of view, he said may not happen again. Hold on, my friends, to the Constitution, for if the American Constitution should fail, there will be anarchy throughout the world. Mm. Look, Ronald Reagan was right. He wasn't perfect, but he was right. We are literally a city shining on a hill. He said God ordained it to be that way. We were the example for the world. We were the first system of government ever where we could choose our own governments to suit ourselves, that God could be the rulers of our states. Amen? That's how we set up. Let's go. Uh, God's hand on us miracles in the beginning. Real fast. I'm going to go through these as quickly as possible. Hopefully you get something out of it. If you didn't, again, too bad. <laughs> uh, see me after. So um, the British Empire's influence. Did you guys, how many of you guys have heard of the New World Order? You can raise your hands. Conspiracy people. I did it for years, man. I was in this stuff. You know what I mean? I was the guy watching all the videotapes and going through the Zapruder films, you know, when I was first a Christian. So from 2001 to 2003, I was in it. And then one day I caught myself locking all my windows and my doors. And I said, Lord, this isn't right. You didn't give me a spirit of fear. What am I doing? So I just quickly put it away. I said, Lord, that is not for me to understand or know right now. You'll reveal truth in time because you always do. Right? So, but why did I bring up the New World Order? How many of you guys have heard, oh my gosh, it's coming. Here it comes. We've never seen this like this in history. The nations are coming together, the UNs and all these other things. Folks, listen to this. The most powerful king in history at that time was the king of Great Britain. He had a half a billion people under his rule, and he controlled 13 million square miles. I don't know how much that is, but that's a lot. <laughs> Listen to this. He had all of India, which was a quarter, man, they know how to breed. A quarter of the world's population alone was India, right? And it was Hong Kong, New Zealand, Australia, Kenya, uh, Egypt, Kenya, South Africa, Canada, the Bahamas, a little while the Americas. He had 13, he had, I think it was like 12 nations under his rule. You want to talk about a new world order? That was it. What I'm saying is, I'm not saying he's not returning soon. What I'm saying is, we've seen this before. We've seen this before. Now listen to the faith of the men of God who fought on your behalf, okay? We decide to break off from the superpower with no army and no navy. Anything, Pastor? Let's go pick a fight. Amen? Amen. We're going to go do this thing. And God's going to win it for us, too. That's what they believed. Either God's for us or he's not. 
Now, in 1776, General Washington's in New York. He's about to get ambushed. Um, there was uh, uh, 14, 400 British ships that carried 32,000 troops. They were coming to ambush Washington. 32,000 troops on 400 ships. And then thousands of wooden masts were described as looking like a forest. When you look out on the river, it's like a forest. Watch this. In 1776, General Whitman... I've never heard of this before until I studied this stuff. In 1776, General William Livingston proposed in Congress a day of fasting, and it passed without objection. Holy cats! I didn't know any of that stuff. And this is what he wrote. We earnestly recommend the 17th day of May be observed as a day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer that we all with united hearts confess and bewail our manifold sins and transgressions. And by sincere repentance and amendment of our life, will please God's righteous displeasure. And through the merits and meditation of Jesus, obtain his pardon and forgiveness. Yo, sometimes I'm not like, Lord, can you just forgive me for that stupidity I just did? And he wrote that. There was, man, that was real to them. Repentance was brokenness to them, right? Let's continue. George Washington ordered it to have read to his troops, and so they ended up reading it. And he wrote in 1776, May 31st, second paragraph, we expect a very bloody summer of it at New York. He said we're not either in men or in guns prepared to fight it. But then he says this, if our cause is just, though, as I most do religiously believe it to be, the same providence, which has in many instances appeared for us, will still go on to a if God's with us, we're going to win this thing. You know how many troops they had at that time? 11,000. They were about to fight 32,000. Did you guys know in most wars in the, in, during the revolution, we were outnumbered 20 to 1? And God still delivered into our hands. <laughs> right? You, you know why I get excited about this? Because that same God that did it for them still exists today. That's why I get excited about it. If he did it for them, he can do it for us too, guys. He can. Amen? I'm not going to go through all that. That's just a bunch of jargon that I like to use. But here, now, here it is. Washington expected an attack from the sea, but a loyalist Redcoat tribe uh, led uh, 10,000 British troops at night through Jamaica Pass and attacked the Continental Army from behind. They lost 3,000 men. So now they have 8,000 troops against 32,000. Right? The odds aren't looking good, son. Vegas is betting against you, right? Can't bet on this one. It's not surefire. You guys remember that horse a year and a half ago, Rich Strike? You remember that horse? Oh, you guys don't watch it? Are you guys like real Christians? Okay, I watched it on YouTube. Come on, the Latrells. You know what I'm talking about, Rich Strike. Are you serious? Now I feel like a dummy. I'll explain it later. Anyways... The Continental Army lost 3,000 men and had no other help, and I'll explain, I really will explain it in a minute. This was the only army that we had was 8,000 troops in the entire country. The entire country. We're about to get run over by the largest force in history. We're about to get run over. Check this out. British General Howe trapped 8,000 Americans on Brooklyn Heights Island. They were on a little island, and he trapped them, and their backs were up against the sea. That night, Washington had this brilliant idea. He said, see all those boats over there? We're going to start to ferry all of our horses and our ammunition, and then we'll ferry all of our troops off. Hopefully we'll get it done by the morning so they can't attack us and ambush us. Great idea. You know what the troops are thinking? Man, I can find another horse. What about me? Right? So then the whole night they're just packing up horses and all these things, right? And they're transporting them all across. And as the dawn approaches, there was still 4,000 men left on duty that they hadn't transported yet. So now you have half of the half of the army that you had ready to fight. Now watch this. This is Major Ben Talamage. Major Ben Talamage was from French, or the, France, I'm sorry, French. He was from France, and he was the chief of intelligence for General Washington. Now, all of these stories are in the Library of Congress. These are all true documented stories, okay? I'm not telling you any farce here. Listen to this. He wrote in his diary, in his journal, he said, as the dawn of the next day approached, those of us who still remained in the trenches became very anxious for our own safety. Loosely translated in the Greek today means we were crapping our pants. <laughs> Can I say that? I'm sorry. <sighs> if you ever invite me back, sir, I promise I'll clean it up. We're freaking out here. Oh my gosh, we're going to die. So we're, 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 we're anxious for ourselves. And then he says this. When the, dawn of the day, when, when the dawn appeared, there were reg several regiments still on duty. And he says this. At this time, a very dense fog began to appear over both encampments. Watch this. 
I recollect this peculiar providential occurrence perfectly well that so very dense was the atmosphere that I could scarcely discern a man six yards distance. So it was about from me to you, Pastor. About six yards. He said we couldn't see anybody about six yards in front of us. Watch this. We tarried till the sun had risen, but the fog remained as dense as ever. Guys, we were just coming in. There was some fog over the fields. You know what happened when the sun popped up? No more fog. He said, dude, when the sun popped up, they were still there. Did you know that the fog remained till one in the afternoon? And the last man that was off the island was Washington. That's a real man. That's a man. That's a leader. The last one off the boat. When the fog finally lifted, the British charged it, and no one was there. And that was the only time that they could have ambushed and taken out our whole army, and God spared them to fight. And it was two years after this that we, we won that battle for independence. Amen? How come you weren't told that as a kid? How come you weren't told that? Because they want you to know that God is dead and that they're God. That's exactly what this is. That's why they can tell you what you should be drinking, what kind of vaccines you should take. You should be wearing masks. You shouldn't be wearing masks. Close the doors. Open the doors. You know what? They're even telling you how much your cows can fart. How in the flip can you stop your cows from farting? Was there a drop hill? Was there a regimen? Do we massage their bellies? What? Do you see this? You can't collect rainwater. You can't drink raw milk. Guys, I grew up on raw milk. Nothing was wrong with me. <laughs> but now they're saying you can't even do that. You can't even think for yourself. If you think that something's a sin, it's a hate crime. Isn't that insane? That the word of God is now called hate when his love is what draws us to repentance? Isn't that crazy? We're not going to let that happen in Jesus' name. We're not. I'm here to tell you we're not. Folks, you guys, the Latrells have known us for a few years. Seven years ago, we started to preach, Lord, the abortion industry, Roe v. Wade will be overturning our country. I promise. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Guys, we would get laughed at. There's no way. There's no way. It's the Supreme Court. What happened a year and a half ago? Because God is real, and he's in the business of answering prayer. Not because of our words, but because I knew what God said. God told me. He's like, dude, we're going to stop. And you know what I believe? The transgender agenda is next. I believe that with all my heart. All my heart. Why? Because it's impossible. That's why. Because I know it's impossible. And the only time you ever see they, them mentioned in scripture is legion. Who are you? We are legion. They, them, she, her, all that crap. Sorry, stuff. Isn't that crazy? So it's demonic what's happening to our kids. They're being led into that demonically. Isn't that crazy? And yet God cast those devils out. We need to do the same thing, y'all. Same thing. Let's continue. Washington wrote this in 1778, two years after the story. He said, the hand of providence has been so conspicuous in all this, the course of the war, that it must be worse than an infidel that lacks faith. He said, you've got to be stuck on stupid not to believe in God after this. And then he says this, when, when it's time, he goes, it will be time enough for me to turn preacher when my present appointment ceases. Man, when this is all over, I'm going to start preaching. That's what he said. Isn't that crazy? I'm not going to do all that. Hebrews, this is my favorite, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. My favorite book is Romans uh, and 1 John, right? Books. Yes. My favorite chapter, here's why, because this is the Hall of Fame of Faith. Did you guys know that in this specific chapter, Hebrews 11 coffee, I just saw someone's sweatshirt. Praise the Lord. Yes, you. So, because <clears throat> coffee is ordained of God. I don't care what you say. So, the Hall of Fame of Faith. Did you know that there's 32 names listed in the Hall of Fame, Hall of Faith, right? There's 32 names. 24 of those names were involved in governmental positions. Crazy, isn't it? Daniel, the prophet who was going up against a secular king. Don't do it, king. You better repent of your sin, king. It wasn't a, look, king, I got something to ask you. I was just thinking, you know, God was kind of talking to me in prayer. No, you need to repent now. What about Micaiah telling uh, uh, King Jehoshaphat and Azza not to, or uh, was it Azza? Not to go to war. One prophet out of the 400 that were false. One. These guys were in governmental positions for a reason. What about the cupbearer to the king, uh, uh, Nehemiah? In a governmental position where God gave him favor and said, as soon as you go, I will make sure everyone provides for you. These were governmental positions in secular governments. Yes, we have a job to do. Yes, 
we have a job to do. And some of you in this room, you two young adults right here, dude, when the moment I saw you guys singing, I'm like, those two are leaders, leaders, leaders. Dude, you right here, bro, I'm telling you, bro, I'm, I'm, I saw it. I, I look at you and I'm like, dude, that's a, that's a mayor and a senator. I mean, just the, the way you guys carry yourselves, like you have a real stability about you, bro, you, you, the beard. You got a real stability. I'm sorry. I don't know your name. You got a real stability about you, dude. But you, you're a pistol fire. You're willing to fight. And we need those, man. We need those men too. We need people with stability. And we need people with stability that are willing to go and charge. You hold them down. He's going out and getting them for you to hold down. <laughs> Amen. But there's a real leadership. There's a real beauty about you too. There's a real godliness about you too, right? And dude, it's here for now. And those kids in public schools belong to the Lord, not them. You know, the state's never been pregnant. The state has never carried a baby to term. They don't belong to them. It belongs to us. They're God's kids. Amen. And we got them. They're ours. We pay for those schools, not the government. And look what they're teaching our kids. Did you guys know that in this nation, there's over 350,000 Protestant pulpits in America? 350,000 Protestant pulpits. Did you guys know that high schools, 7th through 12th grade high schools, there's less than 30,000 of them? The church outnumbers our schools 10 to 1. And look what our schools are teaching kids. There's something wrong. But what can one church do? Huh? Huh? What could one church do to enact the other church and the other church and the other church, right? Here's Mark Twain again. <laughs> Funny I'm quoting the poet because I'm a poet and didn't know it. So he said, in the beginning of a battle, in the beginning of change, the patriot is scarce a man because he's mocked, ridiculed, and scorned. He said, but then the timid join him when his cause succeeds because then it costs nothing to be a patriot. Maybe it takes us to have a little courage, step out, take the shots for a minute, and watch other people see you get shot up and say, you know what, I'm going to join too. I'm going to help that kid. I'm going to help that man of God. I'm going to help them. I'm going to go watch this thing get done. Amen? Amen? It takes that sometimes. We're getting off the topic here. But here, listen to this. What more shall I say for time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets that through faith conquered kingdoms. That same God exists today. They conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. But listen to this. This is awesome. We're made strong out of weakness. It was their weakness. It was the fact that they said, there's no way this can get done. It was the fact that they were weak that God made them strong. It's the fact that you say you can't do it, that you're the one that should. It's the fact that you say there's no way this can get done. But you know what? He said it. Let's go do it. Because then who's going to get the glory? You know, I think about Joshua and the Battle of Jericho, right? And they're marching around the thing. Can you imagine the soldiers, boss? Can you imagine? They're all going, what are we doing? <sighs> all right. And then they get up again. Are we going to attack? No, no. We're going to march again. <sighs> We're going to die. We're going to die. We got spears. We got this. We got everything. We're going to die. Then the seventh day comes, and we're going to let out a shout. We're going to die. And then they shout, and the walls fall, and then they attack. They were weak. They couldn't do anything. But you know who they gave the glory to? Not themselves. It was the Lord. How about Jehoshaphat when he's in the middle of war? He's like, go send your worshipers first. Can you imagine the people that were training for battle? Are you kidding me? Are you, we just... Boss, it ain't never happened like this. Are you sure this is what God said? Yep. God said he's going to deliver them into our hand. And what did God do? He sent a confusion among them, and they started to kill themselves. And there they go. Who got the glory? Not them. He made them weak. They couldn't do anything. And yet God shows up. This is what I'm trying to tell you. He makes you strong out of your weakness. The more weak you are, the more strong he is. That's the most important part of this. Listen to, oh, sorry. Watch this part. It says this, we're, we're made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in the war, not before it. It was when they took the step of faith to walk into that war. God gave them the power and the strength to do it. That's what I love about Christianity. No, I can't do it, but you said I should. Amen? Some of you are the elderly persuasion in this room. I won't call you old. That's rude. And you know who we are. I love you. 
Moses' ministry didn't start till he was 80. You got a lot of tread on the tire, some of you. Amen? I'm not, she pointed to you, not me. You got a lot to do, folks. You know how many kids out there ain't got no grandma, grandpa? Or a father, a mother, an aunt, or uncle that just thinks about them or cares about them? And here's Moses like, I'll do it. Can you imagine being Moses? You want me to do what now? Go to who and do what? And he did it. And look what God did. This is what I'm talking about. It just takes a step of faith. How many of us know we got to do something that's impossible? God's putting something on our hearts to do something impossible. Just step and watch him move. Just step. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I, I have to do this story and I may end it because we're getting close on time here. Um, how many of you guys have ever heard of Bulletproof George Washington? Several of you? Cool. Okay. Really? It's a given. They've been in my classes. They're cheating, okay? But watch this. In 1754, Washington was young. He was about 22, and he was a general with the British Army. This story is so pivotal to the American history story that I want to share this with you in just awe and reverence to God. This is awesome, and if you've never heard of it, you're going to be blown away. So he's leading an entire detachment from the British to go attack because this is the French and Indian War. So they're going on behalf to fight against the French and the Indians. Well, they went 1,400, they took 1,400 troops and crossed over the Appalachian Mountains. We know that as Pennsylvania today, okay? So as they're going, they get ambushed by the American Indian, the indigenous folk, as, as, as is said today. So they got attacked. How many of you guys have watched the movie uh, Mel Gibson's The Patriot? Huh? It's a good movie, isn't it? Right? Tell me, bro, tell me when you're watching it. You're like, dummies, hide. They're just like standing there in a row, just getting shot at. And they're like, oh, my friends are dying. Why are they? Oh, another one died. Hide, duck. You know? Because that's what they were used to. That was their skill of fighting. Right? So here they get ambushed, and they have no idea what to do. So Washington, they, their, their whole brigade split into two forces because they got ambushed and they started to hide, right? So Washington, on his horse, is going back and forth taking orders from his general. Back and forth. Now, here's what's crazy. General Braddock um, and several others who, who were on horses, the, the generals and the leaders, all died except Washington. Here's what's crazy. He wrote about this account to his younger brother, John Washington. So throughout this whole war, they actually succeeded. The Washington, Washington's military won. And then he wrote to his younger brother, he said this, but by all the powerful dispensations of providence, I've been protected by all human probability or expectation, for I had four bullets through my coat and two horses shot from under me, yet I escaped unhurt, although death was leveling my companions on every side of me. Four bullet holes in the coat, they said near his heart. Two horses shot from under him. Who, who protected him again? Check this out. So 15 years later, he's walking with his doctor. He's in Philadelphia. He's walking with his doctor, Dr. Craig. The Indian chief that was there, that, that ordered the firing on Washington's troops, was there. He finally caught up to Washington, brought an interpreter, and one of his soldiers with him. So they caught up to him. This is all in the Library of Congress. This is crazy, right? Watch this. This is what the Indian chief had translated to General Washington. He said, I am a chief and ruler over my tribes. My influence extends to the waters of the Great Lakes and to the far Blue Mountains. I've traveled a long and weary path that I might see the young warrior of that great battle. It was on that day when the white man's blood mixed with the streams of our forests that I first beheld this chief. I called to my young men and said, do you see that tall dude over there? He's not like them red coat he's like us he's got a warrior spirit within him right here the last line says quick let your aim be certain and he dies our rifles were leveled rifles which but for you knew not know how to miss it was all in vain a power mightier far than we shielded you that's what the Indian chief said Something's crazy. Now, if you don't know anything about the American Indian or the indigenous, they had a thing called the great spirit the great spirit had 12 commandments does this sound familiar this is what I love about Romans 1. God will leave himself without witness. He won't leave himself without witness. He won't leave himself without excuse. We're all searching for this God. But this is why, if you didn't know this, Thomas Jefferson had the works of Christ printed 10,000 times twice by Congress to be given to the American Indian to minister the gospel. Did you know that? I mean, either. 
until I studied it. Isn't that crazy? There's like, you remember the story in Acts when Paul talked about the unknown God? Was it Acts 19? Uh, He said the unknown God, and he said, this is the God I'm talking about, the God of heaven. This is the Christ that came and died for our sins. That's what he was doing with the Indian. Now watch this. One of the warriors that was with the Indian chief declared this. I had 17 shots at him. He must have been a vegetarian. Terrible shot. (laughs) 17 times I fired at Washington, and I missed him. 17 times. And they're, they're muskets. They weren't like semi-autos. It was 17 times. Now watch this. Seeing you were under the special guardianship of the great spirit, we immediately cease fire on you. Sums up with this dude. We ain't firing it. Dude, come on. Tell me I ain't getting the goosies right now. That's, that's God protecting General Washington. Right? Now watch this. Then the Indian chief began to prophesy. Watch, watch what he says here. He said, I'm, I'm old and soon shall be gathered to the great council of fire of my fathers in the land of shades. But here I go. Something bids me speak in the voice of prophecy. And then he said, listen, the great spirit protects that man and guides his destinies. He will become the chief of nations. Listen to what he said, chief of nations. In our nation, in America, our states were considered individual nations. That's the way they were supposed to be. The United States government was not the arbiter of, of all of the states. We were the ones who enacted the federal government. Does this make sense? We were individual sovereign states. That's what he's saying here. He will become the chief of nations, and a people yet unborn will hail him as the founder of a mighty empire. I have come to pay homage to the man who is the particular favorite of heaven and who can never die in battle. And you know how Washington died? He forgot his coat. Went on a horse ride. It snowed. He caught pneumonia. He was gone. He never died in battle. Because trust the science, right? The doctors that came in and had pneumonia, they bloodled him. Trust the science. That was a joke. Okay. This is the last one. How much time do I got, Pastor? I'm sorry. I don't. I, but are you guys okay? Okay. I don't want to. I don't like this taking over time stuff. Okay. Here's one, and I'll make this quick. You know what it means when a preacher says he's almost done? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Especially Baptist ones. Not you. Yeah, I don't know if you're bad. Are you reformed? Who knows, right? <laughs> anyway. On February 21st, 1786, they're delineating on the Constitution. Did you guys know that the Constitution was ready not to be signed? There's 56 dudes in a room trying to figure out how to keep the people free. Here's why. Because there was two different kinds of people in America. One was called the Federalist, and the Federalists believed that men are sinful, right? And we need a strong government to restrain their passions, okay? But then you had the Anti-Federalists, and the Anti-Federalists said this, you're right, men are sinful, don't give them any power. They weren't talking about, can we provide for abortions? Should we provide for this and give people free money? It was about how to keep people free. So they were arguing. Now, let's see, you're you're a stud. You play bass awesome. You pastor me and you. Let's go change the tires. Someone's tire, right? All three of us are in a car. We just got done with lunch because praise God. Ever notice Jesus had a last supper, not a last meeting? Thank you, God. Food works. So anyways, so us three just get done with lunch, right? We're driving down the road, and we see this young person, or whatever, because young people don't know how to change the tire today, for the most part. And they're like, hey, we need help, so they go change the tire, right? We're, all three of us are going to have a different way of changing that tire. Tell me. And especially if you're older, you're going to be like, listen, young buck, get out of the way. I know what I'm doing. And I'm like, hey, but there's newer ways to do it. You're like, get that, get out of here. Right? All three of us are going to argue on how to figure this out. No, you jack it up first. No, you loosen the nuts first. No, we do this first. Right? And the girls, are, the guy is like, this young person is like, just change the tire. I don't care. But like three guys trying to do one thing is going to be chaos sometimes. Correct? Imagine 56 men and their wives. <laughs> I can't talk anymore after that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right, men? Wife gets involved, you're like, that was a way better idea than what I just had the last four years. Okay, thank you, we'll do it. But then they're getting together, and so they're about to dissolve, right? And in that meeting was 26 Episcopalians, 11 Presbyterians, 7 Congregationalists, 2 Lutherans, 2 Dutch Reformed, 2 Methodists, 2 Quakers, 2 Roman Catholics, and a partridge in a pear tree. So there was a lot of Christians in that room, right? Trying to figure out how we're going to keep people free. They're about to break this apart. It's fallen apart. We would not have a constitution after this point. 
So then Benjamin Franklin gets up. He was 87 years old. That's why I'm telling you, you have the elderly persuasion. He's 87 years old. Gets up and he starts to say, hey, what are we doing here? He said, listen, we used to pray every day in this chamber when we were writing the Declaration of Independence. We used to seek God. Ever since we started this thing, we haven't done that at all. What are we doing? So listen to what he says. In this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us, how has it happened, sir, that we have not once hitherto thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understandings? Why haven't we got to God yet and say, illuminate us, please? We're screwing up here, Lord. We're screwing up big time. Listen to this. In the beginning of our contest with Great Britain, we were sensible of the danger we had. Daily prayer in this room for divine protection. Listen to this. Our prayers, sir, were heard and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending province in our favor. And to that kind providence, we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our national uh, future happiness. And then he says this, but have we not forgotten that powerful friend? So we haven't even thought about praying to him. What are we doing? And then he says this, I have lived, sir, a long time. Man. He said, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see that God governs in the affairs of man. Listen to that. God governs in the affairs of man. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? He said, we've been assured in the sacred writings that except the Lord build a house of labor in vain that build it, right? He said, I firmly believe this. And I also believe that without his aid, we will succeed in this political building no better than those who built Babel. And they began to pray. They took a three-day recess and they prayed for two straight weeks. And right after that, the declaration, or I'm sorry, the constitution was signed. Because God, how many of you guys have heard this story before? So don't tell me this country wasn't founded on the Lord. We just had a bunch of flawed men who were in those rooms, guys. Just like us. We're screwed up. But you know what they said? We're going to put our screw-ups aside, and we're going to go do something for our kids. They didn't even know if they were going to see liberty for the most part. Do you know that most of our signers of the Declaration died? One of them died. His, his wife and his kids were found in his home, dead. He was persecuted. And they said of him that he went and hid in a cave, and he died of exhaustion and a broken heart. Most of them died broke. Je Jefferson and them died broke. They were rich too. And they died, they lost everything for the cause of liberty. Doesn't that sound like Paul? They gave up everything for the cause of Christ. When he said, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. There's something to be said about putting yourself on the cross and watching God work through you. There's something to be said about that, you know? And this is why in Congress, printed Bibles for public schools in America in 1782. We wanted people to know this. We wanted people to know that God is real. We, we literally said, we're going to do this thing. We printed primers, uh, the New England primer. When you read the New England primer, they were using Bible stories to explain creation. Uh, 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 what's the, the equator and all these different things and measurements. We were using Bible stories for those things. We taught kids how to read by Bible stories, right? And then we're printing Bibles. And did you know what they also printed Watts hymnals for public schools? How come we were never told that, right? Uh, I'm not going to go through all those. Thomas Paine once said this, if there must be trouble, let it be in my day so that my child may have peace. How many people are saying that today? How many politicians, how many pastors are willing to say that today? You know what? If trouble's on my doorstep, let me take care of it so that my kids can be free. We need more of that. It said, in this single reflection, well applied is sufficient to awaken every man to his duty. And I'm not going to read that, but this is the last quote I have. And I always end with this, this specific quote. I don't know what y'all feel about tattoos, but I'll probably get this on my leg one day. Because it just means so much to me. I'm not, I'm kidding, okay? I'm not advocating tattoos. Don't, I don't want no kids in here. Oh, Pastor Mass, you said, no, no, no. Okay. But listen to this. He says, posterity, future generations. This is the last quote. He said, you'll never know what it costs this present generation to preserve your freedom. You'll never know. He said, I hope you make good use of it because if you don't, I'll repent in heaven that I ever took half the pains to preserve it. Do we realize what it costs to have an America, to have a nation like this? Can I ask you a question? <clears throat> Do we realize what it costs to have a Bible? 
all the disciples and the martyrs of the faith and missionaries who have bled and died and put their lives on the line for that thing we call a Bible. And how many of us are willing to pick it up and read it and spend time in it and disciple ourselves in it and pray? All the disciples died crazy deaths. If you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you should read it. Peter being hung upside, upside down, oh, hung upside down on a cross because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified as my Lord. I mean, we have a Bible because of these men and these women who died. Stephen getting stoned for sharing the gospel. And yet we have missionaries all over the world getting persecuted for having a Bible. You know? We've got the greatest country. I don't care what you say. My parents came here in the 60s to give me a better life, and thank God they did. Because I'm here. And a lot of men and women who are Christians fought, bled, and died for this country. And they read that thing right there that led them to the victory. Were they perfect? No. But you know what that shows me? God can use you too. He can use you too. He can use you to shake, rattle, and roll this country. Even this city. I think, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think America's government can change right now. You know what can change? Our local. That's where we start anyway. That's where the authority is anyway. All that stuff that's happened up there. Dude, Joe Biden can't put two sentences together. And Trump can't stop combing his hair. They're all messed up. He's got to quit using spray tan. You all know what I'm saying? China. Right? He's got to quit going to China. Amen? It's not about the right or the left. I mean, there's clearly wrong things on the left. I mean, it's demonic. But guys, both parties have allowed the slaughter of 60 million babies in our country. Both parties have allowed our schools to be run amok with garbage. Both parties have allowed the media system to corrupt our kids. Both parties have allowed our system to be $30 trillion in debt. Okay? So there's fault on both sides. So it's not about that. You know what it is about? This. The lamb. It ain't about no elephant or donkey. It's about the lamb. And what is our response? And knowing the law well enough to go over there and say, no, you're wrong before God. You swore an oath to protect that law before God on a Bible, and you're not doing it. And it's up to us to stop it. Amen? So I'm going to, did you guys get something out of this morning? Praise God. Praise God. If you don't mind, if the band could come up, because we're going to minister in a little bit. We also, Mike's going to come up in a minute here too, if you want to come up now. But we're going to minister this morning. Now here's what I want to pray for. Um, if you guys don't mind, I want to pray for you if you feel like, Lord, I need to increase my faith right now. I know I'm supposed to step out here and I'm freaking out, Lord. I am freaking out. Or is there some of you that, can you just be real with us this morning? It's not worth holding on your sin to. It's just not. You want to be broken and delivered? How many of you all have a sickness or a disease this morning? I am telling you by the living God, he wants to heal you this morning. He does. He wants to get rid of all that stuff so that you can walk freely in Christ. How many of us are dealing with, man, I've got these, uh, i got sons and daughters who are wayward and I'm praying for them. I've got family members that need to hear the gospel. I want to pray with you this morning. So does pastor and so does Mike. Mike's actually our discipleship pastor and our school of ministry pastor at our church. And he also operates self-evident. He's incredible. And this dude knows how to minister. He hears the voice of God. His family's incredible. He's a real Christian. I'm still working on it. But you know what? I love him for it because he's a real deal example. And we want to pray for you this morning. So if you guys want to come up for prayer, we want to minister this morning. So I'm going to invite you to come up for prayer as we minister. Is that cool with you guys? Because we believe, and I believe that if God healed me, he can do the same for you too. And he does it all the time. Amen? So Father, in the name of Jesus, you want to come up, Pastor? If you want to help us pray and call people up. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I just... I bless you this morning because you're still the God of heaven. You're still the God who's the general of the hosts of heaven. You're still the God that said, I'm going to send my son to die and redeem these people for my glory. You're still the same God that says, Lord, if I did it for them, I can do it for you too. You're still the same God, Lord, that is in the business of healing. Lord, you're still the same God that wants righteousness established in our children again. You're the same God that said, you don't have to pray for the harvest. That's already ready. We're praying for the laborers right now in Jesus' name. God, we thank you that they come up this morning. And Father, they get set free. They get delivered from their diseases, Father. And Lord, we minister from a pure heart this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.